I'm Tammy Vindodger, host for Executive with a Cause. Today on the show, I welcome Simon Rowe, the founder of Sleep Bus. Today, we're going to chat about the good, bad, and hard things about running a charity. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I saw my first sleep bus a couple months ago at the ACT Volunteering Expo and was absolutely blown away. It truly is like a motel on wheels. It just had just about everything. It does stand out, that's for sure. You, you, can't, you can't pass it, that's for sure. So, um, but that was a little bit by design as well. So you know, it needed to stand out as well. Mm, for sure. Well, for those people that aren't familiar with the organization, can you tell us more about Sleep Bus and why you started it? Yeah, okay. Oh, probably the why I started it first, I guess. I come from a business um, and corporate background, so had businesses since I was 17 and done very well and, you know, no complaints, good life. And then I was just going down a trendy coffee street in Melbourne in Victoria and Australia. Uh, and it was just one of those things where I just came across a homeless guy sleeping in the doorway of a bank and everybody was sort of stepping over him and walking past. And, you know, we've all seen homeless people and I've walked past plenty. And for whatever reason, on this particular day and this particular time in my life, I stopped and I had a chat to him. And I always describe it as, you know, he was the tightest man I'd ever seen in my life and, and tied to his core. Um, he was just so tired. And so I bought him, I went to Coles, uh, bought him some Coke and some chocolate and gave him some money. And then, you know, I went home. Um, and then I was telling my kids about this encounter and, and then started, you know, tears started going down the face. It, clearly it got to me for some reason. And, um, and then my boys sort of dropped the hammer and said, um, you better do something about that, Dad. So that was really the catalyst for what do I do? What can I do? How can I help? Um, what do I have to offer? Those sorts of things. So, yeah, that was the catalyst for all of that. There's a lot of organizations, though, that are already trying to help people with homelessness in the communities. How did you see yourself as, as providing something different? And how did the concept of Sleep Bus come to you? So that was very much on my radar as well. There's too many charities. There's a lot of charities. There's a lot of competition, which I, from a business background I got. But from a charity, I was thinking, why is there so much competition? And then I, my original thought process was, well, I've got some money. I've got some expertise. Maybe I can help another charity. I actually thought the last thing we needed was another charity. <laughs> so I had no intention of starting one. And then the more and more I researched um, and, and sort of went down the rabbit hole of what's what's happening in the world and what's happening in Australia and what was available. And they just kept coming back to not enough safe places to sleep, uh, even from it's just from a temporary basis. And I knew that affordable housing was the way to go. And I tried, uh, I dabbled in into, into that. And it was just very difficult to the red tape government agencies, the round tables of death, I like to call them, mm. just meeting after meeting after mm. meeting. And I just went, okay. And then my business brain said, okay, we'll start at the foundation. How do we, if this is a government problem that they need to solve, then how do we keep these people safe and healthy until those longer term solutions are available? And so I guess the catalyst for me was I um, stayed in a shelter one night, uh, which was, you know, all guys, uh, mattresses on the floor in a big hall and all different sorts of conditions and states of people's mental and physical health. And I just remember being scared all night. I didn't sleep. And uh, that's where safe sleeps came from. And I just thought, wow, how can I, how can I give people a safe place to sleep? How can I give them a, a, a lockable door, a door that closes mm. so they can sleep? And, but how can I make it cost effective and scalable to do it quickly, I suppose, was the other thing. And, and so then I sort of started researching things around the world again, couldn't really find anything. There's lots of bricks and mortar, traditional shelters and those sorts of things. And then, um, yeah, I just stumbled across a Japanese pod hotel. Oh, yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, I have a bit of an architecture background and I just thought, gee, I love, I love the design. I love the simplicity of it. It's got everything you need. Um, where am I going to put it? <laughs> so that was, so I started playing around building sleep pods in my garage and sleeping in them for sort of weeks and months at a time to get the right size and that sort of thing. And then I was just flicking through a photo album one day with my boys. I've got twin boys. They would have been about 15 at the time. And, uh, and I, I came across an old Bedford bus that I'd converted into a motorhome uh, as a 20 year old. And um, I went, 
there you go. I'm going to stick mm-hmm. it in there. So Sleep Bus was sort of born. And, and I guess it was from a couple of things, it ticked a couple of boxes for me, which was um, it was unique. No one was doing this kind of thing anywhere in the world at the time. Uh, and from a sponsorship perspective, which I needed sponsors, you know, with my corporate background, I can hit up all my corporate mates and just sort of, you know, we need sponsorship to make sure that the service can run and that'll help with the scalability. Um, and then also being a bus, it, it's, it's a, it's a physical thing, but it can go where people need us rather than you build a bricks and mortar shelter somewhere. And then you've got to drag people to you all the time. Mm. Um, so I thought we can move the, the, you know, the pieces around as, as we need to. And, and people that are sleeping rough can be quite transient. They either, you know, get into a long-term program accommodation or whatever it might be so they're not in the area anymore or they move on and come back and and move around um so um sometimes there's a need to move a vehicle around and a sleep bus around so um so yeah tick tick those boxes i want to go back to what you said about sleeping in a shelter and feeling unsafe was that a part of your research or was that because of something else no no that was part of the research so um I, i sort of my my corporate background was as a consultant and part of that was I was a bit of an operations specialist so I would go into big businesses generally undercover um, you know be hired as a consultant but go in undercover and just speak to all the different stakeholders and see what the problems were and then formulate my plan and my strategy to fix those problems and then if uh, if that got the tick of approval then I would would execute that plan um, so I, I guess I only know one way. So going into this, I, I just did the same thing. I went undercover. I spoke to everybody I could um, to find out initially, like I said, where I could help, where I could put my money and my expertise. Um, but they just, yeah, just kept coming back to um, not enough safe places to sleep, not enough temporary emergency accommodation. And, and there was certainly some philosophies around how things should be done that I didn't necessarily agree with either. So Sleep Bus has a very particular way of doing things. Like how? So seems because a lot of traditional shelters and agencies tend to take or have government funding Mm -hmm. and with that government funding comes with a lot of rules Mm -hmm. and regulations and, and not a, not a knock on any charity or organization, but they're also full, like they're at capacity all the time. So they're constantly saying no. You know, you can't stay because you're, you know, intoxicated. You can't stay because you've got a pet. You can't stay because you've got a kid, but you're not a female, you're a male. Or you can't stay because we don't have enough beds for you. All these sorts of no, 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 no. And so Sleep Bus, whenever we, you know, train up new volunteers and launch a new service, I always say, you know, they have lots of questions. Oh, would we take this person? And oh, would we take this person? Would we do this? And I just go, just try and find reasons to say yes, not no. Yeah. So we only have one rule on sleep bus, which is the quiet enjoyment rule, which basically states as long as you can remain quiet and calm and allow everybody else to have a quiet night's sleep, then you get a bed. We don't ask any of your history. We're not, cons- we're not counsellors or anything. We're just there to give you a safe place to sleep. All we need to know is your name so we know who we're talking to. And then there's nothing else. We don't ask any other questions. If you think you can adhere to our one rule, uh, then you get a bed. If you've got a pet, that's fine. If you've got gear with you, that's fine. If you're, if you're, and even if they, you know, not everybody comes, you know, everybody that's sleeping rough is different, but if they are intoxicated or they have um, substance abuse issues or whatever, you know, we just have a chat and just go, well, if you can hold it together for the night, mate, jump on. Yeah. Awesome. If you don't think you can, don't stay. Mm. And just, we have that. And I think that builds rapport and trust super quickly because, because there's this, oh, wow, you know, there's no, there's no criteria. Mm. There's no judgment. There's nothing like we're, we're not here to hear your story. We're not, we're not counselors. We don't provide food, anything. We're just here to give you a safe place to sleep. And then you figure out your next steps from there. Simon, let's talk a little bit about the actual bus. Cause we don't have pictures yeah. in the background. I, I think just trying to give people a visual of how that's set up will help them understand the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so a, a sleep bus um, has sleep pods within it. Um, so if you picture a bus, uh, so basically I, I get a bus and I cut the whole side, so the passenger side of a bus out, 
and then I weld in doors. So that becomes the individual sleep pod doors and those doors open up the whole side of the bus and you can open one at a time or all at once or whatever you need to do. And those doors end up becoming the veranda as well. So if it's raining or something, we can keep out of the weather while we're boarding people on. There's a ladder that hooks in and they can climb up into their sleep pod. The sleep pod is the full width of a bus um, and it's a single bed width, uh, the actual pod itself. So um, so it's a full single bed and then there's room to stand up at the end as well. And then with their bed, they it's a memory foam mattress. They have um, very nice sheets, clean sheets, uh, quilts, pillows. Uh, they have a toilet underneath uh, the bed that slides out as well. So um, they also have a, a reading light. They have USB chargers if they've got a phone or something like that. They've got ducted heating and air conditioning. Uh, and then they also have a walkie-talkie to communicate with our onboard caretaker. So that's the volunteer that stays on board as well all night and make sure that everybody's okay and has everything that they need. Um, and then they also have a little iPad so they can watch TV and, and just relax and close the door and happy days. That's kind of the way it works. Um, and then so our, I guess the operational side of things is that Sleep Bus comes into its parking location for the night at 8 p.m., and then we start onboarding guests from 8.30. Uh, doors close at 10 p.m. And the reason why they close at 10 p.m. And, and if you come after 10 p.m., you can't get a, get a bed for the night. I guess that's the dad in me. The dad <laughs> in me says if you're, out, if you're out in the street after 10, you're probably up to no good. Yeah. So I think 10 o'clock's late enough to be out, out and about. So I think that's a fair time. Uh, and also um, the reason why you can't get on after that time is because then that disturbs our quiet enjoyment rule because mm. you getting on and after 10 and people are already settled in since 8.30, um, that can wake them up and disturb them. And it's a, it, it's a bus. So yeah. it rocks and, you know, if people move and those sorts of things. So, you know, it's consider, consideration for everybody, really. So, um, and then uh, they so jump in, then doors close. Uh, if they want to leave in the middle of the night, it's not a prison. They can leave at any time. They just jump on the walkie-talkie and go, yep, I want out because they can't open the door themselves. Okay. Um, and so there's um, the caretaker can control all the doors. And so if somebody wants to leave, that's fine. We open the door and they head out and we close the door and, and that's it. Um, so And then generally, though, everybody stays in and has a sleep either all night or they stay up and watch TV all night. It's not up to us. We don't care as long as they feel safe. Uh, and then at 7 a.m., they get a wake-up call from the caretaker. Uh, so we've got PA system throughout the whole of the bus uh, and then doors uh, open at 7.15 and then everybody hops out, they grab all their gear and off they go. Sleep bus closes up and then it drives off at 8 a.m., uh, heads back to our depot to be, re be cleaned by our housekeeping crew. All volunteers uh, come in at 9 o'clock and strip all the beds, clean all the surfaces, remake it ready for the next night. And then a driver comes in at 7 and picks up the bus and brings it back and we do it all again. It's quite luxurious. I'd love to travel that way. <laughs> I wish it was that <laughs> <Yeah>. easy. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. You, you've been talking a lot about volunteers. How many volunteers do you have versus staff right now? Uh, so staff, we've only got two staff, which are bus builders, which help me build sleep bus. Um, so I'm not paid, um, but I have two builders that, that help me build the vehicles. Everything else is volunteer. Wow. So... Um, I wanted to, and I guess this goes back to my research. So my research was that back in 2015, 16, when I was sort of um, looking at doing this and, and that sort of thing, um, there was a lot of negativity around charities. So a, a few charities here in Australia had got into a bit of trouble, misappropriation of funds and things like that. And also just some charities had spent money on things and high wages and high wage costs and the public doesn't like overhead. Mm. Now, as a business person, I know you can't run anything without overhead. No. Uh, but the public doesn't like that term because it's, it's probably, you know, some people and organisations have possibly abused that. Uh, and, and so that makes it difficult for everybody else. So when I looked at that, I thought, okay, how do I, how do I build trust? Because people weren't giving money to charities as much as they used to. So we did the 100% rule. So 100% of public donations go directly to sleep bus projects mm -hmm. and we'd prove it. We'd, I'd film everything every day. You'd see where your $50 had gone. Um, I post just about every day, if not at least a couple of times a week. So you can see the bill progressing. You can follow it along. And from a marketing perspective and a business perspective, that's good too because, you know, everybody sees their, their money going to work. And then they might give me some more and I can keep going and, and keep doing a thing. But then they almost, they also, 
you know, follow along and they go, wow, that's coming to my area. I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer because I've been following this whole journey. And now Simon's asking for volunteers. I'm, I'm signing up. Like, you know, I've been a part of this since it's, you know, he bought a bus and he started converting it. So it builds a lot of momentum for us when we roll into a, to a new location as well. So, um, but yeah, volunteers can't do it without them. And as far as the sustainability question that that comes up in almost every podcast we're always talking about funding because that is such a tricky one when you talk about the 100 percent donation that's something that you know some of the famous i guess more famous um u.s based charities have used like charity water charity water yeah they're probably yeah. first but obviously you you have to live I, too i have no problems copying the best mm. that's fine yeah so how do you live because if you're not taking any salary from this organization how can you fund your own needs Oh, well, like I said, I, I come from a business background. So um, being a business person, I know how to make some money if I need to. Um, I've had a good life. I've been successful in my career. Um, so that's okay. There will be a time when um, Sleep Bus will probably have to pay me something at some stage, um, but that doesn't necessarily need to be now. I, we've got some plans around um, becoming more self-sufficient. So um, Sleep Bus doesn't take and hasn't ever had any government funding. Um, so we're purely donation uh, based uh that doesn't sit well with me i i'm not my personality is one that i I don't like taking handouts i understand as a charity in the early days that i have to uh and so i do uh and uh so if anybody's listening or watching please keep giving that's fine um but um but you know i always i always knew that i wanted to be able to figure out a way that we could generate our own income and having that business background, I can think of different ways to make money for the charity. Um, and so that we wouldn't have to rely on donations. Yes, we would still get them. Foundations would probably still give us money, but it wouldn't, it, it just meant I wouldn't have to rely on it. Um, mm. I see too many organizations and this is what I didn't want to have happen. Too many organizations that would take government funding and then deliver these amazing programs that have some serious impact and then a change in government or a change in policy or whatever, and then that money goes, and then that program has to stop, yeah. and that makes zero sense to me, mm. and I can't, I can't stomach that. So, um, so we've like just as an example, so we've just built uh, a luxury motorhome, uh, so the Sleep Bus Dreamliner we call it, and we're raffling that off. So that cost me a hundred grand to to build here ourselves. Um, but it fits in well with the brand because it's a bus, you know, uh-huh. it's our version of a, of a home lottery, right. um, and, you know, being a bus. Uh, and so um, we've got 10,000 tickets at hundred dollars a ticket. We hope to raise a million dollars by selling all those. And then that million dollars, I'll be able to put a sleep bus in every capital city in Australia next year. Yeah, so that's amazing. the goal. Um, and, and we'll take some of that, you know, I'll take another hundred grand out of that million and build another luxury road at motorhome mm-hmm. and do it all again next year and, and keep rolling on. And, um, so I wanted to generate our own money so we could do some stuff with our own money. Still public donations will still go to projects uh, and, and we won't touch that for any overheads or sleep bus limited, if you like. Um, it'll still go to where people expect it to go, um, but we'll just make our own money um, any way we can. Well, I, I think it's brilliant, especially when there's such a heavy trend towards van life at the moment and people trying to be a little bit more mobile in the way that they, they travel and, and be more independent. So what a fantastic concept. Well, all those, all those van lifers and schoolie builders in America that put everything on YouTube, thank you <laughs> because you, you, you taught me how to build a sleep bus because <laughs> I didn't know a thing. And so I watched every YouTube video. I could probably, you know, there wouldn't be a schoolie builder or a van builder. I wouldn't know in the U S that, that's on YouTube because I've followed them all and, uh, They've helped me uh, develop and build a sleep bus. Well, let's talk about YouTube because you're on YouTube and I watched a couple of your videos, which is fantastic because so many of Oh, the, that was you. Uh, oh, that was you. me recently yeah, stalking no. you. <laughs> <laughs> they have the, the, so many charities struggle with, with sharing stories of the people that they help because of privacy laws. And so you've kind of taken this approach to just showing people where their money is going into building actually the bus and not necessarily the people that you're, you're helping, which has been brilliant because it shows progress every day. How has that helped you raise funds? Yeah, look, I, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons for that. So one of the reasons was I, I see, and again, this is not a knock on any charity. Everybody does things their own way and that's fine. But I am a positive person. I'm a person that just um, doesn't like to get caught up in the politics and I just like having a crack 
and all I can do is the best that I can do, and I, and I will I will try. Um, and I I don't like we deliberately don't mention our guests at all. We don't tell any. We don't share any stories of our guests. Um, so sorry, people that sleep rough that stay on sleep bus. We call them guests. That's how we like to treat mm. them. Um, and so we don't share any of those stories because um, social media, internet, that's forever. And so I didn't like the idea of, you know, even if they were happy for us to share their story, I didn't like the idea of doing it because, you know, you might get your life back together and find your pathway out. And in a couple of years time, you're going for a job and then they stumble across Jeff or Jenny and, oh, you were homeless or, or whatever it might be. And, and I don't like, I call it, I call it guilt marketing. Oh. Again, not a knock on anybody. I just don't like the, the old drunk guy on a park bench. Oh, look at this homeless man. I, and that's not who homeless are. Mm. So I don't like any of that. So I like to be positive because I'm a positive guy. We do a serious thing, but I try and have as much fun with it as I possibly can because that's all I know. And I try and do that with all our volunteers as well. And I, and it clearly resonates. We, we, we have built what we call the sleep bus family. Well, they probably built themselves, but you know, <laughs> they all come together and, and they follow me. And, and I guess those videos that we, we pop online, um, you know, help to learn who, who I am. You know, I decided early on that I was going to give this charity a face. And so now that's me. Um, I, I didn't want to be a faceless organization. Like, uh, not everybody might like me, but, um, hopefully they, they back me in and, and follow the journey and me and my boys and, and that sort of thing. So it was very important to me to, to have a face and have a face to it and a personality. And obviously sleep bus is very much my personality at the moment being the founder and the guy that's running it. But, um, that may change, uh, if, if I'm in a different role in, in future years, but, um, you know, the idea was to just post everything and, and I, and I don't, nothing's produced. It's me holding up an iPhone and speaking into the camera one take and then just put it up there and, and it is what it is. And if I'm, if I'm behind or I've had a problem or I'm struggling with something or whatever, I just post it all. We just had a little technical glitch there, but we're back on. So it's good to see you again, Simon. Uh, we, <laughs> we were just talking about you being the face of the organization and that was deliberate. Do you ever think about the fact that at some point you might not want to be the face anymore? Um, so two things. Yes. Um, so the plan was always that uh, get sleep bus to a certain point where I could just keep replacing myself the, the the seven different hats that I wear and then I could potentially just go and be the the spruker and tell the story and and just share what we're doing and I guess bring the money in and rattle the tin and do all that sort of stuff <laughs> um but also part of me is you know I always talk about sleep bus as the charity you want to close so yeah. sleep, sleep bus shouldn't exist so I am behind the scenes in a grander plan I am actively plotting sleep buses demise because I, you know, affordable housing and a, a better option than sleep bus needs to come to fruition in a, in a bigger way than what we're doing now. So uh, hopefully it never gets to the stage where, um, you know, Simon moves on to, to something else because somebody else is coming into the role of sleep bus. Hopefully it's because I'm shutting sleep bus down because it's no longer required. That would be awesome. I think that's every charity's goal really to not be needed anymore because then you fulfilled your mission. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about your sons a couple of times and how they kind of inspired you to, to actually start sleep bus. Are they involved in the organization at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they're both actively in it. I mean, they still live at home and, uh, uh, Harrison, one of my sons works with me here at sleep bus, uh, now. Um, so he's, uh, he's all in, he's getting as dirty and as banged up as I do building sleep bus vehicles. So, and we like to joke that, um, he's the second foremost expert of sleep bus builder in the world. Uh, so, uh, I'm still the first, so, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and we, and we've also just taken on a new sleep bus builder, uh, Sarah. Uh, and Sarah was one of our volunteer sleep bus drivers uh, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland of, of Australia. So we lured her down to the freezing cold of Melbourne to, to build vehicles, and uh, she's been amazing. Outstanding. How many buses do you have right now? Uh, so we've got uh, four 
functioning operating buses. Uh, and then uh, I'm sitting in my vehicle inside the sleep bus yard at the moment in Melbourne in Victoria. Uh, and uh, we've got a Byron Bay sleep bus just to my left, which is about to launch uh, in the next two or three weeks. So that's just, that's finished. We're just doing all the registration and roadworthies and all those sorts of things. Then it, just in front of me is the Harvey Bay sleep bus. Uh, so that's uh, almost finished. So that'll go up. Uh, in the next sort of four to six weeks. Uh, and then on the other side of me is the uh, is a second one from Maroochydore on the Sunshine Coast, which will be a pink sleep bus. So we have our traditional sleep bus, which is for anybody. Uh, and then our pink sleep bus is, is just for women. And if they have a child with them, they can come on board as well. And then that is a, that volunteer service is all female volunteers as well. So if it just makes women feel a little bit more comfortable that there's no guys involved, then that's an easy thing for us to do. So um, so yes, we've got that option. And then on the other side of me, we've got, um, we've got another one for Byron Bay. And then on the other side of that, we've got sleep bus health. Sleep bus health is a medical uh, service. So that'll go around to where all our sleep bus vehicles are and just provide basic medical care to anybody that's sleeping rough and just cuts and scrapes and those sorts of things. Um, it's a part of our keep people safe and healthy. I'll only have one bus that can drive around Australia as many times as it needs to. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just a, just a little extra add on. Um, that we wanted to do as part of our as our mission, I suppose. Well, as you grow, you might have to build yourself an office in your car. <laughs> I've got I've got a bus with a well, it was supposed to be an office, but we've we've turned it into uh, what we call Sleep Bus B and B. So again, about our volunteers. So Sleep Bus B and B, where we are here in Melbourne. Um, it's donated by the landlord, so I don't pay any rent, which is very nice. Um, but we have an amazing view of the city of the Melbourne skyline. So we've, we've turned my bus office into sleep bus B&B. So for volunteers that do a certain amount of hours for us, um, they get a sleep bus B&B uh, ticket and they can make their way down to Melbourne and they get to stay on the B&B for free for the weekend uh, and enjoy hospitality on us. And uh, as a thank you. So all those little things just go to helping us keep our, keep our volunteers happy and, and show them that we do appreciate what they're doing and that we love their support. So, yeah. Uh, that's incredible. I, I think those little perks, we don't think enough about that in terms of how much of a, a difference that can make for just retainability and happiness. Oh, look, a classic example is, is that we, um, we, we have a, a model which is um, sleep bus T-shirts, right? So a lot of organizations give out T-shirts to get the brand out there and, and that sort of stuff. We don't. Um, you have to do a minimum of 40 hours volunteering before you get your sleep bus t-shirt so you, you can't buy any sleep bus merchandise you've got to earn it um, and when <laughs> but when people get their t-shirt like we video it all obviously and um, put it up online and when people get their t-shirt they are like you see them light up they're like <laughs> yes finally got you know they wear it with pride with the with the with the volunteers that don't yet have their t-shirt that have to wear a high-vis vest with sleep bus on it you know it's uh you know, you've got to you've got to lift your game. So it's a bit of a competition <laughs> as well. So works in our favour. Oh, I think those incentives are amazing. I know at once a time I used to be the CEO at RSBCA ACT, and just getting them a name badge after they've done a year of service, like that was such a big deal. And if they had like a five year, um, five years, we actually put a little diamond on it or something to show how long they've been a volunteer. They loved it. It cost so little. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For yeah, so we have. We have T-shirts and beanies and baseball caps, but you can't buy them. You've got to earn them. So, yeah. That's terrific. For your volunteers, because you have these buses in so many different cities, and it's obviously just one of you, if you only have two staff members and they're mostly, they're mostly builders, how do you manage the volunteers in each of the locations? Um, so, again, that's still, still done by me. Um, and so, part of again, part of my research and about you know, we talked about overheads and people don't like to see wages and they don't like to see overheads and that sort of thing. So I, I've really worked hard on, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill myself to do it, but I've worked really hard on if I can automate a process and eliminate a human, then I will. Um, so our roster system pretty much runs itself. It's very, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I set the rosters for each location and then volunteers just, jump on and pick a shift that suits them and and because we've created this community the sleep bus family um they very much you know hey hey guys on facebook um there's a couple of gaps on saturday night anybody want to come out with me and 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 do service wow like so so it's it's 
kind of self-managed, but just overseen a little bit. And, and, you know, we've, we've just built this amazing sleep bus family that, um, you know, and, and they'll even, you know, it, it happened today, literally happened today where one of our uh, newbies, so a new volunteer um, said, Hey, Simon, the roster for Maruchidor, I can't, I can't book in for next weekend. Um, I'm already on for this weekend, but I can't book in for next weekend. I can't find it. And I went, oh, I, that's because it's August. You just got to flick to the next page, you know, for the, the calendar of August. And just going, no, it's not there, mate. And I'm like, oh. So I had a look and I went, sure enough, you can only set the roster for so many months in advance. And um, <laughs> surely my six months is up. So I had to go and then set the roster for another six months. And then everybody's like jumping on Facebook going, oh, now the roster's up. Thank you, Simon. And like they're all jumped on the shift. So you know, they're actively pushing me to make sure that the shifts are available and everything's working so that they can volunteer. So that's a huge help. And I think also, you know, they know I'm doing it by myself. So, you know, and they've clearly come to volunteer to back me as well. And this crazy idea that I've come up with. So um, they let me know if anything's broken and not working and I fix it. <laughs> it's a huge testament to your, your ability to build a community and a culture within those volunteers. That is actually really hard to do. And obviously it's taken some time to do that. Was there anything specific that you did other than, you know, creating these incentive programs for just merch? You know, what did you do to create this amazing culture where they're actually managing themselves? That is so hard. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> that's not very, not very helpful for the podcast, Simon. Anyway, um, I, um, yeah, look, and, and look, the, the merch thing has only been a recent thing so that was never the catalyst for people so the only thing I can think I put it down to is you know we we're posting all the time like there's content going out on all the platforms all the time and and it's not sugar-coated it's not um produced it's just raw and I guess people believe that it's well it is it's authentic and people like that mm. I guess is what I'm trying to say and so because they're so invested from day one so they might have been a part of a community fundraising for a sleep bus and then the money comes through and I don't start a build until we've got all the money because you don't know if it's not all going to come through then there's no point starting so we wait for the full money to come through and then once that comes through then then it's, it's game on like the pressure is then all on me to deliver uh, and so you know from day one if I'm driving to go and pick up a bus and I have to drive 30 hours across the country to pick up this bus. I film it all and throw it on there. I have a good chat to myself on the bus and I post that as well. And so all that sort of, all that sort of stuff, people are still, you know, they're, they're following Simon. They're following this idea that they clearly love. They're following the, the project that is, is nearest and dearest to their community. Um, and then by the time I get there, they're so hungry to be involved because they've followed along for so long. Um, that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty much, I get there and it's like, get out of the way, Simon, I've got this kind of thing. Wow. Um, and even like our videos, you know, we, we're just um, revamping our website now. So like a lot of, it, most of our training is on the job, you know, so you come to service and you'll be buddied up with a volunteer and that volunteer shows you how to do the job. And then when you're comfortable and you know how to do it, then you'll become the buddy and you'll, you'll train the next person. But we're starting to put a lot of that online as well. So again, automating everything uh -huh. so it can be done quicker so that as I'm launching more and more like I'm launching uh four services in in the next sort of two months wow. so I, I I can't be everywhere so you know we even have some of our so uh Queanbeyan sleep bus in New South Wales which is just near ACT um that service has been running for over a year now and a lot of those volunteers will actually go to some of these other services and train up the next batch for me just wow. because they want to wow so, you know, we recently had a volunteer, Kelly, uh, who works at the Canberra Hospital. She runs one of the departments at the Canberra Hospital. And we were short in Maroochydore because COVID had got a lot of our volunteers. She was in Brisbane on a, on a recent school holiday, just gone, school holidays. And she said, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll drive up to Maroochydore and, and cover the caretaker shift on the bus. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Was, so this is the kind of, this is the kind of people we, we, we have in the sleep bus family and they, they just do whatever they that needs to be done to make sure people have got a safe place to sleep. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty amazing community. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about your automations because there's there's a lot of people that talk about doing it, but there's very few that actually put them in place. So you you've obviously set up a roster system. Um, what other types of automations have you set up to help yourself manage this organization? 
Yeah, so a lot of it is around, I mean, automation probably sounds a lot fancier than what it is, but um, the idea around, uh, so if somebody signs up, they sign up on our website and they can click all the roles that they're interested in on the website is information and videos about all the roles. So before they even choose, they get an understanding of what these roles might be. And we have the full gamut of roles as well. So you can do a 12 hour shift and be a caretaker and sleep on sleep bus all night, or you can do a half an hour shift and be a sleep bus Uber driver. We call them the driver's driver who drives the sleep bus driver who drives the actual sleep bus to its site back to their car so they can get home. Yeah. Um, and then there's housekeeping for an hour or there's a service volunteer for 90 minutes. So there's heaps of different things, morning shifts, night shifts, that sort of stuff. So um, whatever your availability um, we've probably got a role for you. Um, so that's kind of that part. And then they just sign up and then they get an automatic email that lists what the next steps are. Uh, and here's the roster link. Like we don't mess around. Like if you've signed up and you're interested, here's the roster, get on it. Are you uh, using a volunteer management system to do that? No. No, it's just all through the website. All through the website. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Yeah. Okay. But it works. I like, like, I, you know, I come from an operations background and I could, I could spend tens of thousands of dollars on fancy systems, but we use um, fundraising. So fundraising is a, is a, a charity website platform, if uh, you like. Yep. So they have all the widgets and everything and they manage a lot of the back end. Um, so we can, you know, again, some of it frustrates me from a marketing and business perspective that this website won't let me do every idea I have in my head. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it makes it, everything works smoothly. If anything's wrong, I just contact them. They get it sorted. It costs me nothing. Um, if, if, uh, volunteers make a, if, sorry, if volunteers, if supporters make a donation on the website, um, the system just says, Hey, would you like to add a dollar to cover the website costs? Uh -huh. And everybody says yes. And so I don't pay anything. Um, so that helps as well. I'm thinking about the technology that you have in the back end right now. It is very simple, but obviously makes a difference. For it sounds like every donation though goes towards a specific project. So I would assume that would be a specific bus. Is that how that works? It, it really depends. So um, we have campaigns that run for particular um, communities, uh, and people can donate to that community, and then those funds will go to that particular project. Um, but if people just donate generally or um yeah generally through the website then those funds will just be allocated to a project um and um because every every cent that comes through as a donation just goes towards a project like there's we run two bank accounts like like charity water does um so we run two bank accounts all the donations go into one and that money is spent on sleep bus projects building a bus or running the service and then we have another bank account, which we, you know, Sleep Bus Limited. Uh, so the the business side of things and um, corporate donations and those sorts of things go into that bucket. And then that money's used for whatever we need to from a corporate perspective. I, I think a lot of charities, especially in the U.S., are starting to consider that model. I haven't heard of too many in Australia that have done that, maybe because you're a fairly new uh, charity. Well, I think, I think Scott Harrison says it beautifully from Charity Water. Why would you do that? It's very hard and stupid. Um, and he's absolutely right. But it's important. It is It is for, for the donors that really care about that. I'm not convinced that all donors do. I think a lot of donors will see that most of these organizations are run incredibly efficiently compared to the private sector or government and therefore find no reason to have that split. But for those that do cons are concerned about having real visibility as to where those dollars go, I can see that. For the technology you're using for donations, I'm, I'm just curious to know, just because I'm a technologist, um, are you able to run your actual bus campaigns through that system? So as an example, if you're building a new bus for a certain location and you're doing a campaign, are you using the same technology for that particular campaign or is it just general donations? Uh, no, so um, so every uh, so individuals can start campaigns on our website. So very much like GoFundMe. Okay, all right. So we have a mini GoFundMe on our website. Great. So again, I copy the best. So um, and that's how I built the original prototype sleep bus. I started a GoFundMe campaign, uh, and we reached our we we got a hundred grand in four days. And is that um, how much it costs to build a bus? 
costs a hundred thousand to build a sleep bus. So it's um, to break it down, it's it's roughly twenty thousand dollars to to get a bus, um, and then it's sixty to seventy thousand to fit it out, and then the last ten to twenty thousand is to get it to its location, insurances, registration, get it running, mm-hmm. and then it's fifty thousand a year to run, which we look for sponsors to cover that. And the operational cost is for just the cleaning, the maintenance of the vehicle, those types yeah, of things? Yeah, maintenance, to be honest, a lot of that $50,000 goes towards the volunteers. Yeah. It goes it goes to supporting them and giving them some love. Cold coffees on a, on a cold night. Uh, sorry, hot coffees on a cold <laughs> night. Um, a pizza night, a, a family dinner, um, you know, the merch, uh, those sorts of things. You know, a lot of that money. We, You know, I designed Sleep Bus to run on the smell of an oily rag. Like, it. It, it just needed to be super, super efficient so that we could get more buses out there. So every cent could go towards getting more buses out there. So, um, you know, a lot of the sponsorship that we get is just to support the volunteers and make sure that they're appreciated and that they they feel loved and um, they share our story and bring out their friends and family and, and, and just keep it all happening for me because, you know, 50 grand to support 200 volunteers per service roughly is nothing um you know we used to in the original prototype it used to cost one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year to run because we used to have to have a paid security guard on the bus all night just the way the bus was designed uh, at that time and that's fifty dollars an hour 12 hour shifts seven days a week 365 days a year very expensive yeah and then i was lucky enough to sit down with a consultancy firm here uh, deloitte um, which I guess they're global. Everybody probably knows Deloitte. Uh, they gave me a couple of partners and some uh, associates for a day and they said, use this how you want. And I said, okay, well, I'm an operations guy. So here's my strategic plan from one bus to 300. Uh, rip the eyes out of that and see if I'm dreaming. And then, um, and then I said, I don't know what I have of value from a sponsorship mm. perspective. Like, what is this bus worth? What would a sponsor pay um, and so they went and looked at, you know, how much is it to sponsor a tram, a bus, a billboard, um, you know, what's the social media content that we could provide worth? What's the volunteering aspect? What's that value? They came back with $50,000. Okay. So I had to go from a $170,000 run vehicle and get it below 50,000. So I had to completely redesign the thing and figure out how to get rid of a security guard, but keep it safe still uh-huh. and and keep and make that a volunteer role and how do I keep the volunteers feeling safe as well so um that was quite a task but luckily I don't mind a challenge so um yeah well I mean obviously made a huge difference and I think that's actually a great learning for other organizations about how can they look differently about their costs so many times it's about just um not not replacing somebody who leaves but you actually figured out a smarter way to do it that's sustainable well, I, I actively look at ways of not hiring people. That's <laughs> um, obvious. Is, 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 there a, is, there a, is there a piece of technology or just a simple system I can put in place mm. so that we don't need that? Like we, we've, I know at some point I'm going to need some sort of uh, like a volunteer coordinator. We call them the, the slumberjack. Um, so they're, 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 they're the slumber part of this is that they're, they're responsible for providing safe sleeps. And the jack is they've got to be a jack of all trades to make it uh, happen. So the slumberjack role would be something that we'll, we'll probably have probably towards the end of next year so that that can take some of the rostering and that sort of thing is off my plate. Um, but you know, I've got a, and, and that's the reason for doing our sleep bus dreamliner raffle. Like mm-hmm. I want to pay for that ourselves. Right. That makes a lot you of sense. I mean? And such a great so, yeah. commercial model as well. So right now, what percentage of your revenue is coming from donations versus sponsorships? Oh, so all builds are donations. And then probably at the moment, 50% of the buses are, uh, have have a sponsor or are covered by some sort of sponsorship, okay. and then the rest is picked up by donation. So, um, so yeah, so it's it's still heavily donation. I'm hoping that all changes next year. And and um, look, and, and in saying that, I think if we can become self sufficient, as in not needing donations, we'll probably end up getting more. Yeah. Um, I I think that's just the way the world works. But <laughs> like even during in even during COVID, like we like every charity, like every business took a hit uh, when COVID hit in early 2020 where donations just dried up overnight, like Mm. not a cent. That was it. We were very fortunate enough that we had two campaigns that had just closed and so we'd had 200,000 come in to build two buses, Mm -hmm. the Queanbeyan one and the Canberra one. Um, So we knew we had money. So 
I made the decision that during COVID, we wouldn't ask for any funds. There'd be no donation drives. There'd be no, hey, can you send us some money? We're doing it tough. Because I already knew that everybody was doing it tough. Mm. So it just felt wrong to me to ask. And we had money. So we knew we could get these jobs done. And whatever happened once we get out of COVID, well, we'll tackle that when we get to it. And I think that probably put us in good stead with everybody. And also the fact that we were still generating, like it, it was just Harrison and I, my son and I, still building during all those fierce lockdowns in Melbourne. And we just kept putting out positive content. We're still having a crack. We're still trying. It wasn't all gloom and doom COVID. It's just still two guys having a go every day in the cold and the heat and the whatever. And I think people really, like we got a lot of followers because I just enjoyed, it wasn't gloom and doom. Yeah. Here's a, here's a positive little story. And, and so that's kept us in good stead on the other side now because people are still fans. Um, when people have got money, they've donated. Um, when, when businesses have come out, they've sponsored, you know, out of COVID and that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's been pretty positive. Well, it sounds like you have a very big future ahead. Is there any other things that you want to share with the audience about the future or bigger plans? I mean, certainly we need to know how to get a raffle ticket so we can get one of those buses. Oh, totally do. Yeah. So uh, you just go to sleepbus.org. You can't miss it. The Sleepbus Dreamliner. You can head to the, the Dreamliner page and there's videos and photos. It is a, a beautiful machine. Uh, even if you don't want one, get a ticket, give it away, give it back to me and I'll raffle it again next mm. year. I don't mind. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, you can go to sleepbus.org. Um, I guess from a from Sleepbus's perspective, um, we take it seriously about um, not like when you start a charity, right, you've got to, you've got to write a constitution. Mm -hmm. That's part of the rules in Australia. So you have to write a constitution. And I deliberately wrote in our constitution that um, anything we do has to be on a bus. Now that sounds silly, but it was because if I'm no longer a part of sleep bus, I didn't want the next person coming in going, gee, this sleep bus thing goes pretty well. Let's, let's start doing some bricks and mortar shelters and that sort of stuff. Because because you know sleep bus goes well let's let's leverage the brand mm. the second thing i've written in uh to the constitution is we're not to duplicate other services that are already out there because i don't like this competition there's yeah. too many people competing all like even after with our um volunteers and our donors like we have a very high individual number donor rate as in the, the amount that they give compared to the benchmark right um and but we don't target the traditional donor that, that generally the older established charities generally get. So that 35 to 65 year old female, uh -huh. um, we target a younger audience. I speak at primary schools, high schools, universities, every chance I get, I get them out to buses. I get them in buses. I get them out to service. So a lot of our demographic is younger up to 35 because I thought untapped market, mm -hmm. Nobody else is going after them and they're eagerly looking for something to do yeah. and how to get involved with the world. Um, I'll give you a place to go and place to play and, and help and do things. And so again, I take it seriously, not wanting to, I don't want to disturb anybody else's fundraising things. I don't want to take from anybody else. I just want to find my little niche and do my little thing. And, and so, um, yeah, I think it's really important that organizations look for ways to, really bring about their demise yeah like we really have to like we've been talking about affordable housing mm -hmm. for 50 years and 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 every organization and agency will say it's getting worse yeah for sure so so it's probably time we we, we looked at a different way or try some new things and um and and i and i agree again i still think it's um it's still government needs to do something and i've been thinking a lot recently about our recent Australian elections, we had the, the teal wave. The teal wave was all the independents. Mm -hmm. So all the independents wanted to get a vote in uh, and be able to affect change in politics in Australia, which was great. And so that just shows how powerful a vote is. So in Australia particularly. Yeah. And so I was always thinking, you know, we, we need to put homelessness on the agenda and we don't, we don't make it as an individual person. We don't make it 
enough of a vote. So I'm hoping that changes over the next four years and I'm hoping I can influence that in some way. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're looking at that next generation of voters just with the people you're targeting for your organization. I'm very conscious of time. I know we're out of it and, and you probably have another bus to build. For those, I'm, I'm spray painting a bus as we speak. So as soon as I'm done with here, I'm going back to spray painting a bus. So, yeah. Well, for people that want to watch him spray paint a bus, then Simon is on YouTube and just about every um, media channel. Facebook, Instagram. I'm doing TikToks now. Ah, yeah. <laughs> perfect demographic for you, for sure. So if you want to check him out at sleepbus.org. Not, Correct. Yep. And yep. probably the same thing on all the channels too. So Sleep Bus on Instagram and TikTok, Sleep Bus Australia uh, for Facebook. Mm, brilliant. Simon, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your vision. I love the fact that you're looking outside of the usual charity model and finding not only a different way to do things through by avoiding government funding completely, by looking at very commercial models, but also by trying to find a gap in that homelessness space that needs to be filled and it's not being filled now by other charities or even government. So thank you for the work that you and your volunteers do. I absolutely love looking at your bus, and I hope that other people will take a chance to do that too. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Hi, this is Tammy again. When I'm not doing podcasts, I'm helping not-for-profits with IT decisions. The question for this week's IT in Plain English segment is, what's a password locker? A password locker or a password manager is an application that you install on a device, like a computer or phone. It allows you to safely manage all of your usernames and passwords from one location. This means you only have to remember one password to open the locker, and most of these lockers will automatically fill in your details for each website, regardless of which device you use. The lockers encrypt your user information and often prompt you to have a much more complex password than you could normally remember. While you may think this is overkill for your organization, especially if you already use single sign-on through Microsoft Azure, I've actually explained that in a different episode, I highly recommend you use a locker for the teams that would normally share a password, like your marketing and communications department for social media sites. This is also important for business continuity and security when a key team member leaves with all the passwords stored in their head or in a notebook. There are dozens of options on the market, such as 1Password and LastPass, and some of them even have a free version. So there you have it in plain English. If you have an IT question you want answered, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I just might answer it on the show. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave me a review. To all of you executives with a cause, the world is definitely a better place because of you. Thank you for what you and your teams do every day.